Hi, I'm Stacey Schumacher-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Today, I spoke with Tara Bernard, founder of her namesake international practice. The London-born and raised designer's sprawling career spans leaving school at age 16, a stint at Vogue magazine, and invaluable industry experience at London firm U before setting off on her own. She credits her greatest inspirations and mentors as journalist Jane Mulvac, design legends John Hitchcock and Philippe Stark, as well as her father, who she says taught her her greatest lesson to date. In our conversation, she details her work with Equinox Hotels and a few of her other upcoming exciting projects, her favorite travel destinations, and dealing with COVID-19. So hi, I'm here with Tara. Tara, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm very well, and it's great to be with you. Yes, it is. I wish we could do this in person, but we'll take we'll take this route. So, all right. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Um, well, I was born in London, in the UK, and I grew up essentially in London. But I've spent so much of my life traveling. Um, we spent huge proportions of time in Europe. Traveled constantly to both the states and to Asia. So, um, a London girl who was just introduced to the world <laughs> at a very early start. Love it. And were you always creative? Um, did you always have a love for design from an, you know, looking back from an early age? I think, I think absolutely. I, there was, you know, certainly a very artistic streak in me, whether that was kind of what I reached out to wear or what I was drawing. I did a lot of the arts when I was at school, but I think, I think really, I remember in my sort of young teens and late teens getting more and more interested. And there was a moment when uh, I remember my father taking me to the Royal Academy for a big exhibition of uh, Fosters and Rogers and afterwards to a lecture uh, that Norman Foster gave. And because he knew we knew him personally, I was able to meet starstruck Norman Foster later on. And he'd left such a huge impression on me. And I remember then always being so interested. Maybe that was the combination of all the traveling, being open to seeing hotels, different lifestyles, and starting to be very interested in that kind of juxtaposition where sort of all the architecture inside. So I was always drawn to the materiality of architecture, but I think somewhere in me, those impressions were really forming in my sort of teenage years. And did your parents have uh, an influence on this too? You said you got to meet Foster. You know, was there creativity from your parents as well? Well, I think my mother would love to take claim and say she's a tremendous artist, and she certainly has a very artistic street. Um, I, my father didn't work on the so much the um, artistic side, but was certainly a very creative and you know well uh, considered developer. He was therefore in his days very close to a lot of the great architects of today, starting them as, a you know, all together as teams building. And so therefore it was always around me, this understanding, maybe more from the development side of things, watching um, city landscapes literally change from uh, the vision of these collaborations. So therefore, yes, it was probably with unknown to me imprinted a little bit or quite a lot. (laughs) Did he do mostly commercial buildings? And uh, he, he did all sorts of buildings from uh, uh, sort of city centers, rebuilding 
um, mixed use developments, uh, hotels, many, many things. And so you go to high school, you left school at 16, right? Yes, I did for my sins. You have to get to this right old age to feel comfortable with it again. Um, But yes, I did. I left school at 16, um, which was not premeditated or planned for and not very well received as well at the time. Um, And as a result of that, I wasn't somebody who was uh, sort of therefore allowed to sit back and go, hey, I left school. I, I was pretty much kicked out and I had to go and get a job. And from there on in, I worked so hard. It was something that switched within me that was a responsibility. It was no longer going to class, handing in homework. It was, I was out there. And I think that responsibility was one of the greatest feelings of uh, being part of something. And from there on, I, I did sort of evolve in the jobs that I had a good interview with and I was given a job. But from there, that sort of evolution of the work I was doing was certainly what I would call in ancient times, almost like doing a series of very serious apprenticeships. So um, if there's any kids listening out there at 16 who are feeling like walking out of school, don't. It, just like, don't do that at home. I, I, I put in more hours than any one of my friends later on as a result of that because, you know, you didn't get to study, you didn't get all those trips, but those apprenticeships, some of them were very grueling, but they certainly uh, allowed me to um, experience a lot of real life work on projects. It, you know, it introduced me to great people in the industry. And in that time, I met, met people who remained mentors in my life. So it was an unusual way to go about it. But I did, uh, I don't have uh, a Bachelor of Arts to wave at you, sadly. No, but you, you, you've done quite well. So um, I think you found your the right path for you. So what were some of these apprenticeships? Uh, I mean, wh- what was your first job and how did that evolve? Um, can you share some of those early, early beginnings? Well, I was 16 years old when I went to work at Condé Nast for Vogue. Um, I'm sure it gave me a little bit of polish, perhaps. Um, I, learned, I learned very importantly, it, you know, it was about people. Work is about people. It's about communication. It's about interaction. And, you know, back then I I was given a duster, um, or a duster is an English word for, you know, cleaning. I was cleaning people's desks. I was doing coffee runs. I was getting sandwiches for, for key editors. And I think you learn about the mechanics of business. So it wasn't necessarily that there was one or two things, but the culture of working was on me in a very, very, from a very formal office coming, coming across. From there, um, it led me into a project. Um, I'd met during my work at Vogue, Jane Mulvag, who was very, uh, you know, very prolific writer at the time. And she had said to me, but you're such a personality. Have you ever thought about going into press and marketing? And I took a job with one of the great dames of uh, PR um, at the time and worked in her office. And then I started learning about brands and how the optics of a brand is so important. So Kimberly, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that you might be listening, but for if Kimberly's listening, um, she'll, you know, there's a huge part of that that then built up. And then I switched tact completely and to everyone's complete horror, went and interviewed in one of the biggest real estate firms in the UK to do commercial development. Um, 
as I just shared, my father worked in that industry, so he was horrified at the time. And um, even more so when I actually was given the job. And I took all those artistic and creative drives and I put them to one side and I just work in sort of literally the front line of property negotiations, land buying, developments, shop leases um, for a few years, good few years. But that probably helps you today, right? I mean, understanding the business well, of all, the design. All right? of it sort of, it's like, it's like creating a sort of tapestry, I suppose, that when you look back and you stand back at the end, you go, my God, it actually worked together. Wow, how did that happen? <laughs> but um, but the essentially what I was doing was sort of learning businesses. I was understanding um, very much so, which is why we are so attuned when we're building today hotels, where they're situated in a city centre, what that means to that neighbourhood or to that city. And also the value of the build. So we're very understanding of our deliverables and the cost of build, the value engineering. Uh, and finally, it is sort of, I won't run through all my experiences, but they started to kind of collectively come together, I suppose, is the best way to put it. And um, I finally um, was able to merge in a sense, all those experiences. And I think a pivotal moment for me was when I came across an old building um, that was an old warehouse and raised some finance um, to recreate a, a lifestyle uh, of how I envisioned the most knockout 4,000 square foot loft to be. But I still didn't have enough money. So I got two plans going and it hired the most fantastic architect to help me uh, express my vision. And he was great. We got planning for the roof. I sold the roof space to someone who could build the apartment that we designed. And with that, I built out a four and a half thousand square foot loft. Um, and that won me awards. And that was the catalyst. And I hadn't, I think I hadn't even hit 21. That's amazing. It, is that when you decided to go out on your own or was there still another chapter before you started? No, there was here? still a few, there was still a little bit of, yeah. of learning, a little bit of learning. <laughs> and then, then a little bit of you, as in not your dear self, Stacey, but um, you as in joining with John Hitchcock and Philip Stark came years after that, um, which again, I mean, who could, you couldn't ask for a better education, a better school, a, be a better creative crew to be a part of I was just so honored to be a part of it and uh and how did and that, that come about I mean did they find you did you find them were you interested in it um and tell us a little bit about your role there a marvelous guy who's very well known in uh, communications and marketing who I was close to at the time Matthew Freud introduced me to John Hitchcock and uh John interviewed me and uh along with all the team at you and I was given a job I, I had enough uh, about me that they gave me a uh, position to be part. No one had titles back then. I remember everyone was called a partner, which was rather collaborative and very fair and quite exciting. But uh, I didn't really talk back then. I was so shy. I never said a word. And all I did was listen, make notes and listen. And, and eventually, as the years go by, 
I really wanted to break out. Not that there was, it was a tremendous relationship there, but I wanted to, I, I had an, I had something inside and it, I, I can't call it an instinct. It certainly wasn't an instinct, but it was perhaps a drive to just to set up on my own, which is madness at the time, if I think that, but that's what happened. It's amazing. And how long were you there? A few years. Okay. And for those that don't know you, Y-O-O, uh, can you tell a little bit about what you what you guys were building there? Oh, what you was about really harmonizing uh, design into property developments and having, as we've now shared, grown up with that kind of world around me, building properties. And at you, when I was there, I had many different kind of roles. I traveled the world to find new sites from Hong Kong to Singapore to look for projects where we would essentially be building residential um, towers or so it wasn't one-off residences like a private house it, it was apartments or loft-like apartments and we'd look to find collaborations with uh ownership across the world but equally we were looking at then stylizing each apartment so effectively of course under the banner of stark uh we created four different styles so that when you if you were coming in to buy an apartment in London, we'd say this is the look of Star One. Culture was one, for example. So that had stronger, bolder colours. And then with, with all the colours came a spec board of the materials. So your home was a, basically a stark design. So we all worked very hard on what those styles would be. And what, what it was doing, though, because you know anyone who'd worked um, in those arenas had seen for years uh, in the property markets and certainly where I was at the time in London that everyone said the following location 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 and what I'd learned back when I had achieved you know a, a, a tremendous sort of understanding of lifestyle design and what it meant when I'd sold the loft that someone who bought it just took the key and moved in with everything in it, every piece of furniture, every coffee table, the kitchen as it was, the bathroom's done. You learned very quickly because it was in an offbeat kind of area that people had always looked at location, location, location. But what about if you challenge that it became location, location, design, and design mattered? And property developers were slowly instead of standing on that more house builder type of attitude, right. was slowly opening their senses to think, right, these young breed of property developers are creative developers. They're putting design at the forefront of their offering. And it was at that point that I probably recognized a gap in the market. Um, and I also saw that there was a great emphasis on what I would call today interior architecture, where you had to understand the architecture, where you had to get to grips with the layouts and the elevations, the details of everything within a building, as well as all the beautiful furniture and fabrics that came later. And it was at that moment that I, I just wanted to express myself more and do more with that. And I think um, there was maybe which we see much less of today, it was either your architect or your decorator. And there was something that was evolving and that I was part of that story, that narrative when it was evolving. And it, was, it wasn't why I left. I, there was you know, many other reasons that come into trying to break out on your own. Um, but those years were invaluable for me and the friendships as well that remain today. And you know, I consider John Hitchcock a dear friend and a great visionaire. Yeah. 
And so what made you finally break out on your own? Um, and looking back, what did you wish you knew then <laughs> that you know now? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, um, sometimes, not ignorance is bliss, but sometimes the bravery, the, the urge to do it. There were some personal things going on at home that I wanted. Needless to say, I went about um, finding my own office and getting sorted out to begin on my own. And the very first thing that I did was um, not write a business plan, but get a job, get, win a project. And which project was that? It was, uh, well, there were two projects that were pretty uh, pivotal to that moment. But one of them was I'd, I had um, a relationship. As I explained earlier, there were a few people who became great mentors to me. And one of them was a man who is, I'm very sorry to say, was a legend. I lost him earlier this year. Uh, one of my dearest friends, Tony Pidgeley, who was uh, a business idol. Um, he had created the Barclay Group, which was St. George's Homes, St. Edward's Homes, the Barclay Homes. So the biggest land, land buyers and builders in the UK. And he was a great uh, mentor. And I, I went to see him and said, I'm thinking of setting up on my own. And we talked a little bit. I'd seen him earlier in my career and we'd had some very uh, fantastic moments. And I um, shared a lot of visions on different projects with him. And he said, I might have something for you. He's, and he awarded me a project called the Telephone Exchange in Crouchham. It's a long time ago, but all the people I worked with back then, I still have a relationship with today. We still we have a project going live at the moment with uh, St. George's Homes in the UK, building a great loft project in Camden. And that that was agreed before I think I had even found my new office. Okay, so you get that first job, um, and then you continue to grow your office Um what, how did you end up in hospitality or what drew you to hospitality? Um, there, there, was, there was definitely a good few years under my belt. It wasn't all immediate. You know, there were other jobs that started to come in. We'd, uh, in a very different vein, I'd also met Jay Jopling. Um, and I'd met Jay through another very dear friend who's no longer with us, David Tang, who was a notorious culture, uh, cultural, flamboyant, wise guy you know very not wise guy as in you might say in the states but very wise man and um he'd introduced me to jay and jay jopling uh who is white cube was building the white cube in hoxton square and he met me and he offered me and awarded me the project of doing the interiors of that project and very much focusing in on his private offices so in terms of cool and status and i was just you know over the moon to win something like that. So you had this already, this ver variation, even though there were only at the time two or three jobs in the studio, you had this huge old telephone exchange, big residential project in the heart of London, and this just iconic uh, gallery space being built. So it allowed me very early on to not pigeonhole myself, perhaps, in one type of... Um, style of where we could express ourselves in design. Having said that back then and quite early on, I then decided that I was going to just focus my, my work towards residential developments, galleries. The dream was hotels 
and maybe volume down on private clients. Right. So for those that might not know, and I know you work in different disciplines, but how would you describe your style? How would you, what do you think clients come to you for? Um, Is it? We have relationships. I believe in relationships. And I think that's a huge part of what we do and communication. And I think from the get-go, when we meet someone and there's a good energy, there is such a a feeling of aligned vision. So I think that's a very big part of why we are blessed to work with some incredible people. And today, because I guess I'm a little bit of a workaholic, I consider those, uh, those people today, many of them as dear friends, as I do consider them great clients. So that, and then in terms of our work, we, we are, we're really formulaic, you know, we really stick to our deliverables. We're really reliable. That responsibility to me never left me since I was younger. And I take it very seriously. Beyond that, I hope and believe they come to us for what we do, the, 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 the bold, confident design that we bring to the table. People ask, what's our style? You know, we're so, it's not that we uh, drift in styles, but, you know, as I, you know, if I'm walking down a snowy day in a village in the mountains, I'm going to dress very differently. And my whole style um, will be so different to if I have got a sarong around me and some beads and I'm in Mexico. So that same language is happening with our designs. If we're building uh, an alpine private chalet, it's going to have the same philosophies. We're going to look at the layouts first. We're going to understand the space planning. We're going to go through every detail on that before we put in the finishes and the fabrics. So all the materiality, like the hard finishes and the soft finishes and the furniture. So the journey we go through is essentially the same, but the outcome is very indigenous. So we are probably, uh, the, the thread that pulls them together is I think we we are not with a set style. So things can vary. We like to pull on local materials, be it a local stone or artisan uses. We are not overly frilly, perhaps. We're more handsome than we're pretty. And our work is quite bold, quite confident. And um, so far, you know, I look back at some of our older projects and 12, 14 years on, they stand the test of time because we're very authentic about what we do. Yeah, which is important. And very layered, which I love. Yeah, layered. That's very true. We li- I like layering things. I like, uh, you know, when I dress, I like, uh, what are they called? All the accessories. Yes. You see that? Um, and, I know. I'm always um, in awe but, of, your, of your jewelry. Someday I'm going to come uh, play in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to come play in my closet. And that's very layered as well. But I, I feel that the layers are also the final touch. So everything looks finished. And then to me, it looks bare. So then I start putting more and it's not that I don't like cluttered, but I do like layers. Yeah, no, very, it's a fine line, but you guys do it very, very well. Okay. So what you said hotels was, uh, was the goal or the dream. Um, A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. What was your first, uh, hospitality project? There were a few early ones. Um, I think 
sure we were working uh, on a huge project for Blackstone at the time, working on something called Centre Parks in the UK, um, which led to doing some more work with Blackstones on some hotels they owned called the Swiss Hotel Group uh, at the time. And after working with Blackstone, um, we'd started to get a real taste of the very strong practicalities of hospitality and hotel design. So they weren't necessarily out there in fantastic publications like yours, Stacey, they wouldn't, but they were they were really important. Some of them business travel hotels, center parks became a very, very big and important journey for us. And we were so honored to win that project. And I think really one of the pivotal uh, relationships that then came about later was meeting Jason Pomerantz and Aaron Haralela. Um, and Jason and Aaron had come to me and there were some wonderful sets of coincidences. Um, someone had been trying to introduce me to Jason for years. Um, Aaron had had dinner in a house and was trying to find out who was the designer. And I was asked to pitch to do the hotel was then the Sheraton in Belgrave, Belgravia. Um, Turned out the house Aaron had had dinner was was mine with my ex-husband at the time. <laughs> and Jason and I were always going to get on like a house on fire. So uh, there was a couple of other designers pitching, all of whom absolutely intimidated me. And I couldn't even believe I was in the running. When we pitch, we don't give options. We give one idea. And that idea, it, it was still the very DNA that we built today. Um so building the Harry, as it is now called, because I won't, I would be another podcast to explain my journey in my life with Jason and Aaron. But um, Jason went on to build 60 hotels and it, the Thompson was no, un, no longer under his uh, watch and has gone on to other great paths. Jason also and Aaron decided to set up his own brand and named it the Harry. So the Harry London remains very much still with the same uh, vibe and attitude that we looked at so many years ago. So that, that was a very important moment um, in going into that very luxury, boutique, cool world. Um, and then there was another very pivotal moment when I got a phone call um, from Four Seasons. Right. Which has been fact, a long collaborator. Um, yes, but that first phone call, I definitely did a jig around my office uh, <laughs> when I put the phone down and realized. And that first phone call was just to say, this is Four Seasons, just letting you know you're now on our Rolodex or whatever at the time. And I was like, Whoa. Um, <laughs> And uh, we won our first job with them, uh, you know, six, seven years ago. And we continue to work with them today. And mm -hmm. my relationship with the ownership and those fantastic people at Four Seasons remains very much intact and very important to me. Love it. And is there one project that has challenged you the most or has taught you something about um, yourself or just, you know, <laughs> how to, do, how to, you know, this industry? Um, I feel like sometimes you always learn more from, you know, those challenging projects than you do others, but I'm sure you learn something in every project, but is there one? I, that you I, I, I really do. And I don't want to be that person that says, no, I don't. Every single project comes with its huge set of different people, different styles of working. And some are just 
more challenging than others, but others just take such a different route. I'm learning so much on every single project that um, it's it's not to throw away that answer. But for example, going into Japan and working in the culture and that incredible work that we we did and those just the marvelous people, the style of working, the the honor, the the timing, the deliverables was a massive learning curve. Um, I've had um, just constant change in culture and therefore uh, cities. So each time you're picking up your your kind of like chameleon, like you're you know I'm you know, I'm going to go green on this leaf and yellow on that. I'm you know you get in you get into who you're working with. I mean um, another enormously important person in my life is Chris Norton, who was essentially vice president at Four Seasons, and he left to um, take on and run uh, Equinox Hotels for both Harvey Spebeck of Equinox, who is an incredible visionaire, and um, Stephen Ross, who I had just had the most enormous amount of respect for, and equally for Ken Hamill, who are related group. And um, it was Chris who had left uh, Four Seasons, was now with Equinox Hotels, who introduced me to Ken Hamill at Related. Um, and because of that introduction, and now I consider Ken a very dear friend who I'm missing having martinis with in New York. But um, we were invited to pitch for the Equinox Hotel uh, Grand Avenue, which is downtown LA, opposite the Disney Concert Hall by Frank Geary. And indeed, this project is being built by Frank Geary himself. So um, I was, yet again, with all these years of experience under my belt, absolutely astounded to even be invited for such a prestige project. And with that project, you know, comes other, I wouldn't say challenges, adventures. There's a huge amount of people on those projects. There is a lot of opinions. There is great vision from so many. And there is a new brand being unraveled. So those are exciting uh, challenges in a project. And, you know, so each one is so different. If I go back to Aaron, who we're building the Harry Hong Kong with, very often it's sort of from one Zoom call with 30 people. It's just me and him on his project. So everything is about adapting and learning the sensibilities and actually the culture of each ownership. Um, so I think we're always learning. Yep. But in that time, I guess we've learned a few tricks ourselves. Can you talk about the Equinox brand and how are you evolving that brand and how are you looking at um, fitness and well-being holistically? Because I think that's super exciting and very, very timely for lack of a better word right now, especially, you know, coming out of this pandemic, um, you know, what wellness means um, as people travel as, you know, and from a, not just like a Peloton bike in the room, but really looking at, you know, wellness for the entire experience. Well, um, with that, I, I can't say that we are evolving it. I say that I feel very honoured um, and really am enjoying being part of that team. Got We're it. part of a, of, a, of a big team there. And um, just as uh, we are US-centric on our call, I really you know, think what they have built and achieved in New York, in Hudson Yard is incredible. But I can take, no, it was not our work at all. We came along much later. I think they, you know, have really 
given such a, a landmark to that area with the hotel, the hotel I've stayed in. In fact, my last trip before COVID was in New York in February, staying at um, at the Equinox Hotel. And it was fantastic. They talk about health being the new wealth. And I think that um, emphasis and therefore how it's related to the club and their spa facilities, it's just incredible. Um, when we started on downtown LA, it was ahead of New York opening. So at no point were we trying to make uh, copycat designs. So in a sense, LA has uh, a personality of its own, but very, very aligned with all the philosophies of what that brand is bringing to the table. And um, therefore, we really are a very collective uh, uh, opinions, a very collaborative. We work so much with Harvey, with Chris, with Stephen Ross, with Ken Hamill, and then with all the people around the food and beverage and also spa areas that we're doing as well as all the rooms and suites. So um, I think ultimately it has a very bold, has a very confident, it has to have confidence in its design. It's, it doesn't sit as overly feminine or overly masculine. It's all about, uh, it's seductive in the materials that we can use. In a sense, it is appealing to the design centric and has a slightly edgy feel to it. Um, and that combined with the hotel offering is, makes it really a unique and exciting new arrival on the hotel scene to be part of. I can't wait to see what you've done with it when it opens. Um, well, we've got all the, uh, we've got all the sample rugs in our office at the moment. And obviously sample rugs in anyone's home are a big deal enough, but to have several of them for the lobby arrival, the bars, and we're sitting there going through thread counts. We're, uh, we finished with the model room. So, you know, this has really kept going throughout COVID. Our work has not stopped. And, you know, I am just really longing for the day to be there with all those incredible people I've met during this work and process and um, from everyone on that team to be hopefully um, in soon to come standing there opening that hotel with them. Speaking of openings, the Hari Hong Kong is set to open in December, right? Yeah, next month. Oh, perfect. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Another another <laughs> lockdown launch. I am yeah. now. Oh, you want to hear my most challenging work? Sure. Is uh, is some of the working in lockdown. Um, one is launches, and two is model rooms. Yep. And if anyone from Equinox or related to listening, it is with no disrespect, but reviewing a model room on a camera or a photographer's pictures is probably the most challenging thing I have faced. That is quite hard. That is a situation where you want to be live. You want to be standing in the room. You want to be snagging it. You want to be touching and feeling the materials. So that was certainly interesting. Um, and I think going on from that, you know, we are, we are checking via live cameras, Harry, we are styling it too. So when we do all these fabulous bookshelves and we say, well, it's not just books, it's layered, we're layering it. We're saying, put that there, put that there with, you know, we're sending almost paint by numbers of where things go. Uh, we've done this with Osaka this year. We launched the hotel there, Zentis. We launched, uh, a villa in Ibiza. Yes. 
And um, and now we're about to try a whole hotel in Hong Kong of 200 rooms and suites. And I'm absolutely gutted not to be there. That's actually, I should be, I shouldn't be in my office in London right now. I'm due to be in Hong Kong. I can't go uh, at the moment, but uh, we are cracking on regardless. And yeah. the hotel will open and I think it's just going to be incredible. The good news is it means when I do get to Hong Kong, I shall stay there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Once it all is finished, then that's when you start looking around and seeing what else is needed, right? I mean, so th- that must be some of the hard part right now is not being able to see it as it like physically is about to open. You, um, that is, I'd, I'd love to say it was that magic. And if it is a home, there's nothing better than saying, oh, that console table, it just needs another beautiful vase. I didn't realize it needed the height. Um, I'm a lunatic. When I move into my house, it's finished, okay? And I'm a bit like that with hotels uh i overthink you know sometimes i think three or four things at once which is a little bit uh, you know difficult for those close to me but i i have overthought every shelf we know where we want everything to go um so whether that makes me very organized or a nightmare control freak or a bit of both uh most of the things should be in place i mean there's often like a chair has been put exactly where it should be on plan that's near a fireplace and i tilt it slightly but or I have a certain way I like, which is, believe it or not, although I know we're all about interior architecture and the layouts and the optimization of space, I'm the first to move a cushion as well if it's in the wrong space or the wrong one's gone somewhere. It's just not, you know, it's on that diagonal kind of hexagon side. I like it square. You know? yeah. So, um, yeah, I, can't, I have been seen to fuss around hotels I've designed. Um, <laughs> thankfully, actually, my clients either haven't seen me do that or appreciate it. <laughs> love it. Is there one part of the process that you love the most? Well, I think it's always true. I think, you know, there's all, I, you can't ever estimate, underestimate the excitement still of putting together all your ideas and you feel so vulnerable. And you, as I said, you come with one idea. And recently we just were awarded this project. So it's very, well, two projects of what just one recently in the last few months. Uh, one of them is a Rosewood Hotel in Sardinia. Ooh. in the Costa Smeralda in Italy and putting together ideas and we've got pictures of this and that and now they're going on and your first thoughts of how it should look, room layouts and uh, the whole palette and that is really exciting um, and terrifying because you don't know you're going to win it. Obviously when you win it, it's thrilling and that's when it all really begins. That's when the tsunami of work starts coming through the floodgates and you're having to learn not just your ownership and your client but build relationships with all the other consultants and and there's a huge amount that goes on in those years in the middle. So if you think about marketing something, we talk about winning something and then we talk about opening it. But the years that go on. So I think there's a tremendous time in that which is seeing people develop encouraging people on my own teams internally getting them through the tougher times meeting deadlines getting through each presentation and getting sign-offs and there is nothing quite like drawing a sketch or putting together a pitch with pictures and then standing in it and seeing the owner smile and hand you a glass champagne saying well done that is like oh that feeling is you can't describe it because this place didn't exist and that's but that that does not come lightly um 
So there's there's lots of years in the middle where there's a lot of other value adds and it's about what you get to go through as a team to even get to that very, very special place if we can. And every time I just think we've got to get there. I, I never got, I think the more I do, the more terrified and humble I feel about it all. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about your team, how, how big is your firm now? And Well, we're, we're very, very accustomed to travel. Um, I have a team of 35 based in our headquarters in the UK, um, but a very multinational team. So um, we have, you know, from all over the world, the designers and architects and partners are not I mean, there's very few English in the office. We certainly have uh, Australian, New Zealand, a lot of Italians, uh, Spanish, a um, uh, lot from Hong Kong. I mean, we've just Swedish. We've got a great mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I set uh, the company up on my own 19 years ago, but then about eight years ago, I did a little reshuffle and I took uh, my top tier, um, then uh, created a partnership. So there are partners within the business who are, we're a little bit like knights of the round table and we all discuss and share decisions. And um, and from there, there is a little bit of a, uh, a family tree, if you like, because it's needed. So we have uh, a great associate director uh, and also a super director who helps us with all the sort of operation side of things. And we have some very strong uh, project leads. We have senior designers, designers, some super talented junior designers, a whole CGI department. So, and everyone sort of knows their arena. And I think what we do is the other side of what we do is I'm, I'm very proud to be able to identify talent and also to do our utmost. It's, I feel, responsible and obligated and want to uh, nurture and encourage everyone in that team. Yeah. How do you stay inspired or where do you find inspiration and how do you continue to keep your team inspired, especially through the last nine months? (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) I hope I keep my team inspired. I really do. I I really love them very much. and, uh, And I consider them my family. And, you know, we've done all sorts of things during this really kind of in some ways horrific time. And also there's been learning times in it. Um, and there are, of course, silver linings, but it's not what anyone would have ideally wished for. Um, every week I used to meet uh, the whole office. Obviously, I couldn't do it on one Zoom. So it was split up into various Zoom meetings to talk about nothing but work, about what we cooked on the weekends, movies we'd seen. I think staying in touch with everyone was really important. I think we did our fair share of Zoom pub quizzes and parties, but that sort of runs out after a while. So um, we still do them. I'm just not sure if everyone else is sick to death of them. And, but we try and collectively stay together. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, have really been saved by, this, by work at this time. It's been our saviour. So when you think you're going stir crazy in your room, you're suddenly in Sardinia, Vienna, learning the city, traveling by Google Earth, seeing shops, going to neighborhoods, put together a pitch. So it's been actually in some ways amazing on a creative kind of bonding note as well for all of us. And my inspirations have always come um, from such a variety of places. I, I think without doubt, travel, seeing new cities, going to different uh 
retail stores, incredible uh, designers in the retail. If I think of Tokyo, what you see there, or you walk down uh, any of the top high streets and you see the work that's been done for the interiors of some of these stores like Celine, you travel the world, you then get to go and look at more local artisans and you start to pull together all these uh, flavors of everywhere. Equally, I can sit and watch movies and be led by a sort of aesthetic, like I love that fantasy color of Tim Burton. And I, I take it from the films. I liked so much that kind of nonchalant, that, uh, how the peacock blues sat with those amber cognacs of Rive Gauche and Yves Saint Laurent, you know, the, the yeah. palettes of some of those times. So I'd say it comes from a really strong combination of everything. Do you miss travel? Because I miss travel. I miss it. Of course, yeah. I miss it. Although in some ways, the way I was traveling before this happened uh, was maybe a little unsustainable. I mean, it yeah. was really volume up and pretty intense. Um, but I do like to travel. That feeling of, I mean, I just, you know, have along the flight is have a groggy or ugh, you can feel, um, get off the plane and driving and and some cities i have certain drivers so i feel more at home that i know and there's a guy who's always driven for me in in new york victor victor comes to collect me and i sort of left a suitcase behind so it's easier and it's in the back of the escalade and i'm going into new york and new york lights up and i'm just there boom and i feel the same thing um i feel the same thing in so many projects i feel the same thing when i get into hong kong or i'm driving in a jeep through the jungle to get to the hotel project in Playa de Carmen on the beach in Mexico for Belmont. So I just think there's such uh, an excitement in me still. That's what it is. Um, it's probably got some bad side. It keeps me, I'm still very maybe childish, actually. Um, I think there's, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and that childish side of me keeps the most, like as if it's the first time, I'm, I'm absolutely excited to get there. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, is there any place that you would still love to work in or type of project you would like to do? Such a hard question. I mean, right now, if I was to answer very honestly, I'm just so grateful that we're still here. Yeah. And I mean that very seriously. Um, we're talking and it's wonderful to be asked and share my story or some of my past. But I have to say for so many and really including us, this has been a tough year pretty hairy moments. And right now, I'm just so grateful to everyone of my clients, those with long-term vision, the fact that we've hung on in there and we have work. So maybe two years ago, I said, yeah, I'd like to be in Mexico City, which I'd still like to be in. But um, I'm just very grateful that we, we're not quite through it yet. I want to get to the other side. Um, I, I, to travel and continue traveling. I, I love working in the US. I'm really excited about the projects in LA. We have another hotel in Hollywood as well that's opening uh, the Thompson Hollywood as well as uh, the big Equinox Hotel coming. I would like to do more in the States. Um, and New York always thrills me. I love the resorts. I feel really in touch with doing the resorts, which is, again, a really variation. And it, wouldn't it be fun for one of my great international clients to take me back to London Town, yeah. build a fabulous hotel there? Um, so who knows? Who knows? But just keep, keep on going at the moment. That's how I feel. And you mentioned 
so much of your mentors and, you know, just the amazing people you've been able to work with. Um, we always end this podcast with the title of it. Um, so what is, what has, or what is your greatest lesson learned over the years or best piece of advice? And sometimes they kind of roll in together. The best piece of advice I've had actually in many, many years is from my father. Don't take no for an answer. And um, I remember many, many years ago in Italy, it was his 60th. He'd invited a number of friends to go around the bay, so from the port on little boats, a very beautiful spot you could only get to by boat. And the sea started getting all those white horses. The dark gray clouds came in. The thunder was coming. And everyone said, Mr. Ben, we can't, we can't do this. You can't go out on the boats. And we, and he said, don't take no for an answer. He nearly killed half our guests. We all got round the bay. The boats were going up and down. Um, in fact, Richard Rogers was with us at the time and his wife, Ruthie, holding on to each other's hands. And we got round the bay. We climbed up these old wooden steps, this beautiful spot under a monastery. And the sun came out and literally of course, sun and rain, you get a rainbow. And it was, and he looked at me, he said, now, remember, don't take no for an answer. So it's not that I don't listen, but I always find that it's helped me when there's a big problem, a big problem, be it with the office, maybe it's someone's personal staff, maybe it's a big manufacturer who won't deliver something for a project. Maybe it's something that it's not when a client says no, it's more so Always look for a solution is what I derived from that. Is don't be put off at the first, it's not really a no, is it? It's don't be put off at the first thing that stops you. Keep going. Find the solution. I think that's something that sticks with me. Awesome. I think that's the perfect place to stop. So thank you so much for being yeah, with us here you. today. Loved Always love catching up with you. I adore it. And I can't wait to see you. I really, truly can't. I hope to be back soon in the city. We'll definitely go to 60. Okay, yes, got a date. Go. Yes, it is a date. Okay. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Designs, What I've Learned. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.